on a cycle in the news to where we almost become sick of them. What happened to the stories that dominated the news for such a long time? Did they ever figure out what the actor or actress's death was caused by? Who was the killer? in that string of murders. Does the legendary creature exist, or was it set up by someone seeking attention? How did that person die? What's the real story behind it, and why didn't we hear about it? Welcome to the Aftermath, where we try to tie up the loose ends on the stories we watched so intently on TV and then never heard an ending to, due to life smacking us in the face with more happenings. Also, if you're new, hit that subscribe button. If you're looking to advertise on our podcast, the address, theaftermath88 at yahoo.com. Again, the aftermath88 at yahoo.com. Forgotten story, the yogurt shop murders. On Friday, December 6, 1991, in Austin, Texas, a quadruple homicide took place at the I Can't Believe It's Yogurt Shop. The victims were four teenage girls, 13-year-old Amy Ayers, 17-year-old Eliza Thompson, 17-year-old Jennifer Harbison, and Jennifer's 15-year-old sister, Sarah. Eliza and Jennifer were employees of the yogurt shop, while Amy and her friend Sarah were in the shop to get a ride home with Jennifer after the shop closed at 11 p.m. Approximately one hour before closing, a man had tried to hustle customers in the line and was permitted to use the restroom in the back. He was in the back for a very long time and in retrospect may have jammed something in the door to keep it open. A couple who left the shop before 11 p.m. when Jennifer locked the front door to prevent more customers from entering reported seeing two men at a table acting very suspicious around midnight. Police patrolmen reported a fire inside the yogurt shop and first responders discovered the bodies of the girls inside. The victims had all been shot in the head and some had been raped. A 22 caliber and 380 caliber pistol were used. The perpetrators may have left the back door open, which was found unlocked. Austin Police Department has DNA from an unknown male as a result of one of the rapes from the Federal Bureau of Investigations, but it has declined to reveal the identity of the man in accordance of law of anonymity of donors, and because thousands of men could bear this fragment of DNA, which makes it unable to identify certain individuals. Unlike the others, Amy's body was found in a separate part of the shop, but she had received second and very early third degree burns over 25 to 30 percent of her body she was found with a sock like cloth around her neck she had been shot the same as others however the bullet had missed her brain she also had a second bullet which caused severe damage to her brain exiting through her lateral cheek and jawline the killers had stacked all four bodies on top of each other but amy had pulled herself off and managed to crawl to a different part of the store sarah and eliza's bodies were found stacked on top of each other with Jennifer's body, which is theorized to have been stacked on top of the others, but had been disturbed when Amy crawled away. All top-tier results show a high level of BTU output, which suggests accelerant used to start the fire. In the cash register showed a no sale. $540 was taken from the registers. They were shot by 20 caliber handgun. John Jones worked for the Austin Police Department at the time of the crime, and he was lead investigator on the case. He has since retired. According to Jones, the part of the early investigation that was the roughest, he and his team tracked down customers who were in the yogurt shop the day of the crime to see if they noticed anything suspicious. According to Jones, multiple customers described two men who looked quite out of place, sitting in the shop just before it was due to close. Neither man was reported to have purchased from frozen yogurt, instead only a drink. They've never been identified. 
and we did everything. We even hypnotized some folks, said Jones. Robert Springsteen, Michael Scott, Maurice Pierce, and Forrest Welburn were the only teenagers at the time of the crime. At one point, there were arrests and then convictions, but those convictions were later overturned on appeal. Ultimately, the new DNA technology raised doubts the involvement of their eternal RSS. Then in 1999, nearly eight years after the murders, there was a break in the case when investigators decided to re-examine a different kind of lead. In 1999, the new investigators decided to re-question the men. Two of them, Robert Springsteen and Michael Scott, confessed to the yogurt shop murders and implicated Pierce and Wellburn in the process. All four of the subsequently arrested, but it wasn't long before Springsteen and Scott recanted their confessions, saying they were coerced. Charges were ultimately dropped against Pierce and Wellburn due to lack of evidence. Springsteen and Scott were the only two to go on trial. They were both convicted, but six years later, their convictions were overturned on constitutional rounds. They mixed them and it gives the defendants rights to confront their users. They did not have a chance to, to give the defendants the right to confront their accusers. And then Scott and Springsteen's confessions were used against one another, but they weren't allowed to question each other in court. Prosecutors intended to retry Springsteen and Scott, but before doing so, they ordered DNA tests on vaginal swabs taken from the victims at the time of the murder. By this point, investigators had come to believe at least one of the victims had been sexually assaulted, and prosecutors wanted to take advantage of the fairly new type of DNA testing called YSDR testing. They're just for male DNA only. No one expected what it would reveal. As a result of the testing, partial male DNA profile was obtained from one of the victims. But to the surprise of the prosecutor, the DNA did not match any of the four men who had been arrested. Charges were dropped against Springsteen and Scott, and they were released from prison after spending 10 years behind bars. Theories. From the start, there were a number of issues with the investigation. First off, firemen who responded to the call did their job, and in the process, potentially washed away precious forensic evidence. Even more, in the 1990s, Austin lacked forensic expertise, having only one fingerprint unit. Plus, with the small size of the city's homicide squad, there was only one homicide investigator on shift the night of the murders. Considering the horrific nature of the crimes, as well as the staging of the bodies, investigators first looked into the serial killers that may have been in the area at the time, which led them to Kenneth Allen McDuff. Kenneth Allen McDuff was a Texas serial killer suspected of at least 14 murders. He was convicted of murdering three teens on August 6, 1966, Robert Brand, Mark Drummond, and Edna Louise Sullivan. These killings were dubbed the broomstick murders because Edna's neck was broken with a broomstick after she was reportedly raped. McDuff was sentenced to death, but his sentence was changed to life with the possibility of parole in 72 after U.S. Supreme Court abolished capital punishment and a 5-4 to four decision due to prison overcrowding. McDuff was paroled in 89. It's now believed that after his release, McDuff committed many other murders, including the killing of Melissa Ann Northrup, a 22-year-old Texan in 1992. After evading capture for years, McDuff was finally taken into custody and sent to death row. On November 17, 1998, the day of his execution, McDuff confessed to the yogurt shop murders. If he thought this last-minute confession was going to save his ass, he was really mistaken. His execution was carried out that day anyway, as scheduled. After McDuff's death, authorities investigated his confession, ruled him out with fingerprints and hair collected from the yogurt shop, 
did not match up or link back to him. Maurice Pierce. Eight days after the murders, the, in the investigators got tipped to a teenager named Maurice Pierce. The 16-year-old was seen at North Cross Mall with a gun on the very same night Sarah and Amy were hanging out there before they headed to the yogurt shop. The gun was a 22 caliber handgun, the same caliber as one of the guns used at the yogurt shop. When Jones and Hook, he was with, at the mall with Michael Scott, Robert Springsteen, and Boris Welber. Nothing came of the lead. When Pierce's gun was tested, the ballistics showed that there was no match with a murder scene weapons of any type. Eventually, the investigation moved on. Years went by with no suspects, so the case was passed on to new detectives. Then, in 1999, four suspects in their 20s were taken into custody for the murders. George Welburn, Michael Scott, Robert Springsteen, and Maurice Pierce. The exact same suspects who were questioned eight days after the girls were murdered and due to lack of evidence had to be let go. One of the suspects, Michael Scott, confessed to the killings and he was not alone. Robert Springsteen also confessed to the killings of the girls and raping one of them. After the confession, the police were convinced they had their killers. The theory was that the, one of the four had planned the Robert shooting, planned to rob the yogurt shop. Scott Springsteen and Pierce entered the shop while Welburn waited outside and served as a lookout. But then something went very, very wrong during the robbery and all the girls were killed. The authorities tried twice to indict Welburn for the murders, but they lacked the evidence to link him to the crime. So all the charges against him were dropped. Charges against Pierce were also dropped due to lack of evidence, which was particularly hard for the police and victim's family to take as he was considered the mastermind behind the crime and subsequent killings. Springsteen and Scott were tried separately for the yogurt shop killings, and both were found guilty of capital murder. Springsteen received the death penalty, which was possible even after the Supreme Court ruling in 1972 because of the state of Texas that had just passed a new death penalty statute, whereas Michael Scott was sentenced to 99 years in prison. However, not long after the trial, serious concerns were raised and suggested Springsteen and Scott may have been innocent. To start, there was no physical evidence linking them to the crime. Additionally, both men said their confessions had been coerced, and there was some evidence to back up the claims. One of the detectives on the case transferred immediately after he allegedly extorted confessions in an unrelated case, and a photo came to light of another member of the Atlanta Police Department pointing a gun at Scott's head during his interrogation. Later in 2008, DNA testing was done on evidence collected from the crime scene, and the male DNA found did not match that of Scott or Springsteen or any of the other men suspected of the crime, for that matter. Then Travis County District Attorney Rosemary Lindberg said, even though she was sure Scott and Springsteen were responsible for the murders, the men would not be prosecuted until the unknown male connected with the DNA evidence was found. Most authorities still believe they had the right four guys all along, and that the fifth man must have helped perpetrate the crime, explaining away the unknown DNA evidence. But the defense attorneys for Scott and Springsteen called the fifth man very ridiculous, and had stressed that no one had ever mentioned a fifth participant until the quote-unquote inconvenient DNA results came out. To complicate matters, in 2010, Maurice Pierce stabbed a police officer at a traffic stop, and the officer shot and killed him. Legislation. On December 8, 
2021, the House of the Judiciary Committee passed legislation from Representative Michael McCall giving the families of cold case victims the opportunity to petition the federal government to re-examine cases older than three years old. On August 3, 2022, President Joe Biden signed the Homicide Victims Family Rights Act into law, which was motivated by the yogurt shop murders. The law is intended to help ensure federal law enforcement reviews sometimes decade-old cases and files and applies the latest technology to investigative standards to help solve help solve the crime. The logistics aren't clear in the bill. However, it states that people can request a cold case murder be reviewed by federal agencies if the case qualifies, new eyes will investigate using the latest technologies as they try to crack them. Will this case ever truly be solved? These girls' lives were cut tragically short. Special thanks to CBS News, The Unsolved Austin Shop Murders by True Crime. And for the aftermath, I'm your host, Daniel Hudson. Peace.